And good afternoon. It's me again, Pamela. <laughs> You're listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We are going to continue in my book reading, Chapter 5. And this is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It has been written that one day a man walked into Martin Luther's office and saw him sitting at his desk with his pen in hand and repeating this over and over, God forsaken of God. Who can understand this? Who can comprehend this? When someone comes to the knowledge of their sins and fully understands that God is holy, holy, and holy, and that sin cannot enter in, we see a glimpse of why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was hard enough that his disciples forsook him. Those that he came to bring to salvation to Israel forsook him. His own brothers didn't believe in him. But to feel God had forsaken him was so troublesome for him to go through. But he did. Thank God. At times we forget of the reason why Jesus came. It was not only to die for our sins, but he came in order to suffer for our transgression also. In order to satisfy God's justice. Isaiah 53.11 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Luke twenty four twenty six. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Acts twenty six twenty three. Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Because it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, so God prepared Jesus a body to come down and once and for all be the perfect sacrifice, which did purge your own conscience from dead works and make a new creature in Christ Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Starting at verse 13. Let me get to it. Hebrews chapter 9. Starting at verse 13. Sometimes this computer takes a minute. <laughs> All right. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, 
Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where is a test for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator for a testament is forced after men are dead otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth where upon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which is covenant, which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's see. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 4. Where are we at? 10. Verse 4. Here we go. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus is not continuously dying in the sacrament, as the Catholic Church says. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie, just to let you know. All right, now go up to verse 4, if you would, in chapter 10. Let's see. Oh, I, already, I think I already read that. I did, so I just brought them all in together. And that's something else. I sure did. Okay. So Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that very moment, every one of our sins was placed on him, and God could no longer look upon his son, because he no longer seen him, but my sins that covered his holy son. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. For every sin there is a consequence. 
Look at the first sin of man. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, disobeyed his word, and did their own thing in the Garden of Eden. For that, the ground was cursed. And in order to eat, Adam would have to work by the sweat of his brow. Eve, though in the beginning was a helpmate for Adam, they were equal. Now she would be under his authority, and in great sorrow would, chi would childbearing be. Sin has great consequences. The Creator shed the first blood of his creation in the garden for sins committed. Then in the garden, the Creator began to shed his own blood, mixed with sweat, and endured the sin of all and became the perfect sacrifice for the sins committed by his creation on Mount Calvary. Look at Cain. He slew his brother Abel out of jealousy, and he cried that his punishment was more than he could bear. What was his punishment? Genesis chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. He would be from the face of God. Sin separates you from God. That, my friend. It's the most horrific punishment that can ever be carried out. The Word tells us that sin separates us from a holy, holy, holy God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Sin separates you so much from God that the Word says if you have it in your heart, He would not hear you. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God does not take sin frivolously. Jesus bore our sins as the scapegoat did when the high priest would lay his hands on it and confess all the sins and transgressions of Israel. That is important to understand because it is imperative that you realize our sins were placed on Jesus. But Jesus had no sin in his heart. He was sinless. He was clothed in our sin. But his heart remained pure, without spot, and without blemish. Let's read Matthew 27, verse 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mark 15, 33 through 34. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus did not speak in a tender, quiet tone here. He shouted loudly. Joel chapter 3 Verses 15 through 16. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people, and the strength of the children of Israel. I believe this verse was partially fulfilled when Jesus cried with a loud voice out of Zion and from Jerusalem. There are some prophecies in the Old Testament that have a dual fulfillment. That is one of them. 
Note that at the end, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, this verse will have the ultimate fulfillment. To give you an example, in Hosea 11.1, 1, it states that God called his son Israel out of Egypt. But in the New Testament, Matthew 2.15 refers this son to Jesus Christ. This had a dual fulfillment, as do many others in the Old Testament. We see that Jesus does not call God Father at this point when the land is full of darkness. That is because at that moment, Jesus became sin for us. And the father and son relationship at that moment was altered to God being the holy judge of sin and Jesus being made sin for us. But make a special note of the my God. Jesus uses the possessive pronoun, meaning even though he didn't call him father, he still had held confidence in a relationship with him as his God. What Jesus cried out loud was also a direct quote from Psalms chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. It is not a coincidence this verse mentions words of my roaring. This verse is learned by every young Jewish boy and recited. I found that to be very interesting. They think of this psalm as speaking of the nation of Israel. According to Jewish tradition, to quote the first verse of a psalm is like quoting the entire psalm. It would be like we say, the Lord is my shepherd. Immediately think of the next line in the chapter it is in. I find this very interesting. When he cried this, it was dark across the land. Some who heard thought he cried to Elias, but they had ears to hear and heard not. Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 21, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. It is possible, though, some there, when they heard this cry in their hearts, they started going over in their mind the Psalms. Do you think it is possible they recognized this Psalm as a prophecy and they were part of that which was written? I don't know. But this Psalm's mirror what had happened and was happening and also what would happen. I especially like verse 29 through 31. Run reference and you will see that verse 31 means you and I and we're going to go to it right now. So go to Psalm, the book of Psalms, chapter 22. Mm-hmm. Hold on, let me... 29 through 31. And they, all they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Praise God, aren't you excited about that? That is you and I. That is you and I. And so many people, they've tried to search and search and search and find out, well, how long is a generation? How long is a generation? Because Jesus said, this generation shall not pass, right? Well, guess what? We're still in that generation. 
How can I say that with full assurity? Because it says in Psalms 22:30, a seed shall serve him. We are the seed. We are the seed, people. And it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. We are that generation. I don't care what anyone says. The word is true and every man can be a liar. The word is true. We are that generation. We are that seed that will serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. Praise God. That's us. We were a nation that was not a nation. God did not know us until Christ Jesus died upon that cross. And when you all believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you become that seed. Aren't you excited? I'm very excited about it. Okay. Isaiah 55, 5 says, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he that glorifieth thee. Right there. Praise God. That's it right there. Okay. Also, at that instant, Jesus Christ was fulfilling the law on sacrifice. Number one, Passover lamb. Look at the comparison to Jesus. Blood to be applied so death will pass over. No bones were to be broken of the lamb. Exodus 12, 46. Uh, 46. The first Passover was done in order to deliver God's people from the judgment of the death angel that he himself was sending. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. After this one-time sacrifice, they were to do this and observe it once a year on the same day it happened as a memorial. Do this often in remembrance of me. Sound familiar? Was to be sacrificed outside the gates of the city. Deuteronomy chapter 16, 5 through 6. There are so many more, but that should get you started to begin to do the search for yourself. Number two. Then he became our scapegoat and a sin offering goat. Leviticus 16, 7 through 10. These goats first are to be presented before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle temple. After the goat that was for a sin offering was sacrificed, the high priest would go in the Holy of Holies behind the veil and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Then he took the live goat and placed his hands on it and confessed all the transgressions and iniquities of the Israelites on the goat. And then he sends it out, out of the camp into the wilderness. I had to find that other page. All right. The day of atonement was a solemn day that the people were to fast and humble themselves before the Lord. This was to show the seriousness of sin and the atoning work of God was only effective for those who had a repentant heart. You can find those references in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 31, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27, Numbers chapter 15, verse 30. Also, the blood of the bullock and the goat used were to be burned outside of the camp. That's in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. Now, in Leviticus 17, 11 says, For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Apostle Paul tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Jesus was also the red heifer and the water purification, but I will go deeper into that later, okay? 
There are many other hidden treasures within scripture, but that is not where I feel I'm being led today. There is a disease. We are all born with it. And that disease is sin. There is only one cure. That is Jesus Christ's blood. Yet you must believe and receive in order to be cleansed from your sins. There is a need to open up to you what sin is. Because there are some who may think they are a good person. But Jesus said, there is none good, no, not one, but my Father only. Or they believe they are not as bad as some people. But follow with me exactly why Jesus Christ came. And why at that moment he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Maybe if we understand what sin is and how God judges sin, we ourselves will no longer speak lightly of the cross or tolerate sin in our lives anymore. The word says in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all transgressed God's holy law, and if we fail in one, we are guilty in all. James chapter 2, 8 through 13 says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. First John chapter 3 verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Romans 4.15 says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Romans chapter 7, 7 through 8, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For had I not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of conspicuance. For without the law, sin was dead. I am sure at this point I am probably making everyone a bit squeamish and unsettled. I am not speaking of legalism here. I am sharing with you the reason and the purpose of the law of God, and why Jesus had to come and fulfill the law. Because no one else could or can to this very day. Psalms 19.7 The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord, Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law shows us our need for the Savior. Galatians chapter 3.24-29 Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that the faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Where is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. What are these laws? Exodus chapter 20, 1 through 17. In plain terms, they are, 1. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 2. 
Thou shalt not make any graven image. 3. Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. 4. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 5. Honor thy father and thy mother. 6. Thou shalt not kill. 7. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 8. Thou shalt not steal. 9. Thou shalt not bear false witness, telling a lie. 10. Thou shalt not covet, be jealous of another or of their belongings, as well as lusting after another. Looking at these commandments, most would say, well, I have told a white lie before, but I have never killed anyone. Remember, James, if you fail in one of these, you're guilty in all. But if I dare, can we look at these a little bit closer to fully understand? The first commandment says that we are to have no other gods before him. Mark 12:30 puts it this way, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Matthew chapter 10:37 says, He that loveth father or more, mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke chapter 14 verse 26 if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yea in his own life also he cannot be my disciple God must be number one in your life he will not accept second place if the intentions of your heart are to serve God with everything within you, then your outward actions will be your witness. Have any of you broken this commandment? If so, and you have never repented, then you hate God. For the word says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The second says, we are not to make any graven image. You shall not make a God with your own hands or with your mind to suit yourself. What I mean by this is, there are many out there that refuse to believe in judgment or hell. They simply say, well, the God I know and the God I believe in would never send someone to hell or condemn someone for mistakes. They have created their own in their own minds an idol, a graven image of what suits them. God will not tolerate graven images. There is a story in the Old Testament about an idol named Dagon. When the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant from the children of Israel, they put it in the house of Dagon. Twice Dagon fell before the Ark of the Lord on its face. The second time, not only was it face down, but its head and palms were cut off to where only the stump was left on it. Dagon could probably, in all honesty, be called the first merman because it was half man and half fish. This is what happens when you try and bring graven images, whether in material or within your own mind, in the presence of a holy God. Scripture reference, you can look it up for yourself, is in 1 Samuel chapter 5, 1-5. through 5. Have you ever created something, whether in your mind or in your hands, that was to your liking but not the God of the Bible? Oh, let's put it this way. Have you ever said this? If they make it into heaven, I know I will. What God speaks like that? You created a God in your mind. Would be pride, not the God of the Bible. There are some that make themselves their own God. They believe that they are in control of everything in their life and that there is no higher power looking after them. If you have done this without repentance, you are an idolater. The third, the third says, Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. 
When you use God's name as a four-letter swear word, you use his name in vain. But that is not the only way by which we use his name in vain. Whenever we use God's holy name in any other way than to worship and admire him, we use it in vain. When we are mad, we will say his name in anger. When we are disgusted, we will speak his name in disgust. This is blasphemy against his holy name. And the word says, he will not hold you guiltless that take his name in vain. Some will take his name in vain in order to make money, sell merchandise, etc. We will all give account to God for every idle word we speak. Have you broken this one? If you have this one, if you have done this without repenting, you are a blasphemer. The fourth one is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, let's not get into a quarrel on what day that ought to be, because Apostle Paul said, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth another day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. It is a matter of conscience and not legalism. We are to set one day aside and rest in it and thank God for that day. We tend to have the idea that to keep busy all the time is more spiritual. Why do we think we are better than God? After all, he worked six days, and on the seventh he rested. He desires for us to rest in him one day out of seven. Is that too much to ask? Have you ever broken this one? If you have not repented, then you would be a Sabbath breaker. The fifth one is honoring your father and your mother. Did you know that this commandment is with a promise? If you do this, your days will be long on this earth. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. There are numerous ways to honor your parents, even if they are wretched people and don't truly deserve a good thing said. You can still honor them by refusing to speak evil of them. Have any of you disobeyed, talked back, disrespected, or even said a time or two, I hate you to your parents, or tell your friends how you can't stand your parents? Do you know that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? First Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. Have you broken this commandment without repenting? Then you are rebellious. The sixth one is thou shalt not kill. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 22. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. This he spoke after speaking of this commandment, thou shalt not kill. You see, if you hate anyone and you wish him or her dead or harm to him or her, in your heart you've already committed the evil. God looks upon the heart and the intentions of your heart. Have you ever said, whether in your heart or out loud, that you could care less if so-and-so dies? Have you ever hated someone to the point you truly wish they were dead? If so, you have broken this commandment. If you have not repented, you would be called a murderer. The seventh says, you shall not commit adultery. Let's see how well you have followed this commandment as we look at what Jesus said about it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 28. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So have you ever looked upon anyone and lusted after him or her? Hmm, let's see. What about any movie, TV, rock, or country star? Has anyone paid you a compliment when you were feeling your worst and probably looking at two and you begin to have lustful thoughts like, what if? This includes fornication. Anyone who has sex outside of marriage or before marriage or in any immoral acts. First Timothy 1 through 
1 Timothy chapter 1, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10. Have you broken this commandment? Also, your first spouse, if they are still alive, you are not to remarry if you do. Jesus said, and Paul confirms exactly what Jesus said, and the Word of God obviously confirms it, that if you remarry and your first spouse is still alive, you are in adultery regardless. Have you ever committed this sin? If so, and you have not repented, you are an adulterer. The eighth one says you shall not steal. This does not only mean armed robbery, breaking, entering, but what about your time with God? Have you given him a day of rest? Have you given your tithe of 10%? And see, I put that in there before I understood that the tithes is under the Levitical law, but we are to be a cheerful giver. Um, we, you know, it says a workman is worthy of the hire. So if God has placed it upon your heart to give so-and-so, you know, $10 or to buy the groceries, pay their bill or something like that, and you refuse to do it, that is stealing from God. So for the tithing, that was part of the law, the Levitical law. That is not required um, for those in the New Testament, but it is required to be a cheerful giver. Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. If not, you have stolen from him. This can mean a lighter that does not belong to you, a pin, a dollar given back extra by a store clerk, and you are fully aware of the mistake, but keep it anyway, calling it a blessing. What if you are checking out and you simply do not have enough money and the cashier says, oh, don't worry about it. Go ahead, take it. Does this cashier own the products? Did this cashier speak to her boss and get the go ahead? Did the cashier offer to put your shortage in theirself? If not, you are both guilty of breaking this commandment. You would be called a thief. No matter how minor it seems, it is not the amount that speaks against you. It is your actions. If you have ever done this and have never repented, you are a thief. The ninth one says you shall not lie. This includes white lies, half-truths, deceptions, fibs, or exaggerations. If you have done this, then you have broken this commandment. And if you have not repented, you are a liar. The tenth says, you shall not covet or be jealous. Apostle Paul said that if it were not for the law, he would not have known that lust was covetedness. Have you ever desired something that someone else has? Money, house, cars, clothes, even the anointing? If so, you have broken this commandment. And if you have not repented, you would be called covetous. What happens to those who accept Jesus and to those who do not? Revelation 21, 7 through 8. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now remember what James said. If we fail in just one of these, we are guilty of them all. This is why Christ died. This is why God had to send his son, because we all have transgressed his law and did not keep it. Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. And he did just that. He was pure, without spot or blemish. He was sinless. First Peter chapter 2, verse 22. But yet became sin for our sakes. His sin separates us 
from God, and Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father by his pure sacrifice, and him paying our debt that he did not owe, but we ourselves could not pay. The sun was darkened for three whole hours. Do you know what darkness represents in the word of God? Five different things. Number one, spiritual blindness, Isaiah 9.2. Number two, sinful deeds, Ephesians 5.11. Three, powers of darkness, Ephesians six twelve, four, place of the dead, Job ten twenty one through twenty two, five, judgment, Revelation sixteen verse ten. During the darkness at noon, Jesus became legally guilty for yours and my sins, and was therefore judged according to God's justice and holiness. Moses interceded for the children of Israel because he said, I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. Hebrews chapter ten twenty six through 31 says, For if we willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of, of despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In Habakkuk, we read where God's eyes are too pure to even look upon evil. So at this point, for the first and last time from eternity past to eternity future, God turned his back on his son. Nahum 1.6, who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. We could not satisfy the scales of heaven with our own righteousness because our righteousness is as filthy rags and God would have destroyed us in his fiery indignation and hatred toward sin. That is why Jesus came and took your place. That is why Martin Luther said, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? Sin separates you from God as it did Cain, but you have a choice to either bear your own sin or lay it down at the cross to Jesus who already took your pain, grief, agony, and wrath of God. He already satisfied the scales of justice of heaven for you and and I'm sorry for you if only you will but believe our transgressions cost read Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 and Psalm 22 this is why Jesus allowed them to spit upon him pull his beard out by the roots ripping the flesh from his face beat him with many stripes to where the flesh just hung off of him beat a crown of thorns upon his head hit him in the face gaped upon with their mouths 
pierced his hands and his feet, laughed at him, mocked him, ridiculed him, nakedly exposed for all to see, lied upon him, and yet he did not defend himself. Jesus did all of this to satisfy the scales of justice, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus took my place of suffering, agony, and death for sins I committed. That is why God made it dark at noonday. He could not look upon his holy son, so stained with the disgusting odor of man's sins and dipped in the immorality of our abominable ways. Romans chapter 10, 9-13 That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus experienced loneliness and suffering. This is why Jesus endured the death of the cross. This is why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Though we will not fully comprehend the pain, agony, suffering, or loneliness that Jesus endured in order to redeem us, I do pray that we will walk away thanking God for his Son, and to always think and to never compromise the Word of God or the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If sin is not exposed, then sinners know not why they need the Savior. Let's be firm, bold yet in love show them why they are sinners and their need for the savior romans chapter 2 11 through 16 for there is no respect of persons with god for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law for not the hearers of the law are just before god but the doers of the law shall be justified for when Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these things having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing and else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So you see, God has put inside of us each and every one ever been born that moral law of right and wrong. A little two-year-old knows you don't hit another baby, you don't do it. A little two-year-old knows what it's like to lie uh, because and what it's like to steal even because a little two-year-old you catch them with their hand in the cookie jar and you'll say did you take that cookie and what do they do no uh -huh. no uh -uh. 
I know, I've had three kids. <laughs> Savannah, the one that I lost back in 1996, she was <laughs> a great picture of that. She would hide um, guinea pigs, our guinea pigs. She would hide them. And then I would catch her coming up the stairs because she would hide them in the basement, right? And I would Savannah. And she would cover her face. Shame. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They tried to hide in the trees, did they not? They tried to hide from God. Well, Savannah tried to hide her face because in her little mind, she thought if she couldn't see me, I couldn't see her. And I would say, I still see you. And she'd say, are you mad, Mom? I'd say, yes, I'm mad, Vanna. And she'd say, I'm going to bed. She knew she had done wrong, and she was only two because it's written in her heart. Now, she didn't know the consequences of sin when it came to God. But she know with mom, she was in trouble. You understand what I'm saying? See, there's a difference. She was not at the age of accountability. And people say, well, that's not even in the word. God is not going to throw an innocent child to the point where they're innocent, where they don't know between heaven and hell. They don't. They don't know that what they're doing will cost them their soul. It's an only until you reach that age of knowing. If I lie, it's a sin against God. And I must repent. If not, I will never enter into heaven, but I will be cast into hell. She was too. She didn't know that. All she knew was mommy was mad. She, and she tried to hide herself by covering her face. So if I, she couldn't see me, I couldn't see her. But I let her know, I still see you. And guess what? God still sees you. You can't hide yourself. Okay, I thought I had finished, but you know what? I had not. There was a little tidbit I had to put in. That little tidbit is this, where it comes as the scapegoat and our sin being placed on him. You need to realize that this was the feast of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. That's when this would happen. And the idea of the scapegoat is biblical. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the term. I'm sure that you have where... I'm the scapegoat, you know, and what that means is they put, you know, their fault on you and you take the blame, right? Well, the term scapegoat um, is a translation of the Hebrew word a azazel, as a as a I can't say that azel, a z a z e l, um, azazel was part of the Yom Kippur ritual of animal sacrifice. It was literally a goat that carried the sins of the nation into the wilderness. Though not technically a sacrifice, because the high priest would not sacrifice this animal, the scapegoat would visually and ritually, ritually cleanse the nation from the guilt of their sins. Okay? The scapegoat bore the sin while alive and in the wilderness, okay, where it would die. Thus, Jesus, while alive, God placed our sin on him, which created the wilderness experience that Jesus was put into as our scapegoat. Because a lot of people says, you know, that, you know, that's just the theory. Jesus never went into the wilderness Yes, he did. A wilderness is a locale for intense experiences of stark need for food and water, man and quails, um, for instance, of isolation, which Elijah 
and the still small voice, remember, he was in the wilderness experience there, of danger and divine deliverance, Hagar and Ishmael, of renewal, of encounters with God, Moses and the burning bush, the revelation of the divine name, and Mount Sinai. So you see, Jesus was in the wilderness as the scapegoat with our sins placed upon him by God. No high priest could do that. God himself had to do that. Now, Azazel is a combination of the Hebrew word for goat. Az, A-Z, which means goat in the Hebrew, and also the Hebrew word for to carry or to take away, Azel. This is the basis for the translation of the word Azazel as scapegoat. Literally, the goat who would carry away the sin of Israel, the tote goat, so to speak. When the text says that the goat would be for Azazel, the meaning is better rendered as Azazel or as the scapegoat. So I wanted to interject that in here. I had taken a nap and I had not even posted this yet. And I'm glad I did not because the Lord revealed that to me that, you know, that needed to be explained a little bit clearer so people could understand. Because sadly, in the day that we are living in, there is people that is trying to refute the Bible, saying, oh, but that isn't true. Jesus didn't fulfill this. Jesus didn't fulfill that. Jesus fulfilled it all. You need to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. He fulfilled all. Yes, he did. And when he said up on that cross at the very end, it is finished, he meant it. He fulfilled exactly what he was supposed to fulfill at his first coming. And the rest will be fulfilled at his second coming. Praise God. So I just wanted to put that in there real quick. And then I will pick up, I believe, what chapter am I on now? Like I said, I took a nap. <laughs> um... Let's see. I think it's chapter five, if I'm not mistaken. It could be chapter six, but we'll get to it. All right. I love you all so very, very much. Have a blessed day. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your nose in the book, which is the word of God. And embed the word of God upon the tablets of your hearts. So you will not sin against God or be deceived. Till next time, brothers and sisters. Be blessed. Amen.